So I know there's a lot of traditions that surround Christmas specifically. One of my favorites is Christmas movies, things like Christmas Vacation, Christmas Story, Elf. Anybody with me? Okay, now that I've got kids, we watch Frosty the Snowman and the Santa Claus and how the Grinch stole Christmas. All of it is great. But I finally this year was able to show my kids one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, Home Alone. Now, some of my friends would uh, like to argue with me on this point to say that Home Alone is not actually a Christmas movie. The only thing Christmas about it is the fact that the McAllister family left for vacation on Christmas. If they would have left over spring break, you'd have the same movie, but it couldn't be a Christmas movie, to which I always respond, no. That's all I really can say because I kind of see their point. Uh, it's a, no. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is my no. I disagree with you. Some other guy was trying to convince me that Die Hard was a Christmas movie. I'm like, come on, man. It was Christmas. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, whether or not you agree, if it's a Christmas movie, I've decided in my heart that it is. So from this point forward, as a family, we will only watch it at Christmas. But if you know the movie, you know that there's a scene where Kevin orders a pizza. He's scared to talk to the pizza man because he's so young. So he puts in an old movie uh, that has movie clips with, with dialogue. So he's actually speaking through the movie to the pizza man. Anybody know the name of the movie, just out of curiosity? No. Okay. Angels with Dirty Souls is the name of the movie. Don't worry if you didn't know that. Uh, It just proves you're not a nerd like me. It's not even a real movie. They filmed it only for Home Alone, so you can't try and look it up or anything like that. But there's a scene in the the movie where this gangster, Johnny, like shoots up this other guy at the Tommy gun a bunch of times. He says the iconic line, keep the change, you filthy animal, right? All right. Well, this morning, I titled my message, Keep the Change. Dropped the filthy animal part. Because I want us to pick up on an idea I introduced a couple weeks ago where I said that I believe most people want to change. We were talking about the 21 days of prayer and fasting and setting some goals and all that. And I believe that people want to change for the better. I believe that they want their lives to matter. People want to be significant. They want to be remembered. The problem is, according to statistics, most people have a hard time keeping the change that they've set out to make. Just to put this in perspective, only 8% of people who set a New Year's resolution actually keep it the entire year. So, this morning for us, what I want to try and do is answer this question, how do I keep the change? Like, Are there some things that I can incorporate into my life? Are there some principles found within Scripture that will help us keep the change? And the good news, you filthy animals, is yes, there are. God has some great things that He wants to teach us. He's built some safeguards into uh, His design for life for us as human beings as we try and keep the change that we desire. I love that passage, Psalm seventy-six, eleven. Make vows to the Lord your God. And then it says, but keep them. Like, let me say it this way. God wants to protect your progress. He wants to help you keep the change. Do you believe that? I think so often, at least in my life, uh, the hard part is not the desire to change. 
In fact, it's not even the initial change. Sometimes that can actually be pretty easy. The hard part is more often than not, the initial change sparks more change, which incorporates even more change, which makes it difficult to keep the change. It's why over 70% of people who lose weight will put it back on. It's why nearly 80% of people who are released from prison will be arrested again within five years because real change is a series of changes. And I know that some of you set some goals in January. I know some of you are doing some things with prayer and fasting. And so what I really want us to do is help us discover how God wants to help you. And, and we've just got to know the anchors that God has put in life for us to see and, and be able to keep the change. So let's take a look. If you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Go ahead and grab it. You need to find Acts chapter 3. Uh, it's in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. You can look for some guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts is how it's going to go. Uh, if you hit Romans or Corinthians, you've gone too far. If you're using an app or something on your phone, that's great. Click to Acts chapter 3. If you did not bring a Bible, we will still be in Acts chapter 3, but you can follow along uh, on screen or, or there in your sermon notes on your way in. You should have grabbed some of those. But the book of Acts is an amazing book. It picks up on the narrative that the uh, Gospels left off, the narrative of Jesus. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, and they are four perspectives chronicling the life of Jesus. But after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus ascends back into heaven. He dispatches his Holy Spirit to continue the story. So instead of detailing the life of Jesus, Acts begins to show us what Jesus is doing through his church who are powered by the Holy Spirit. Acts shows us how well the church is doing at accomplishing the mission uh, Jesus laid out for them, which was to go into all the world and, and preach and teach and baptize people, which um, is a very important uh, thing for the church to do. And then uh, keep in mind that, that after Jesus rose and He sent the Holy Spirit, that He promised people eternal life if they just trust in Him for their forgiveness of their sins. All of their sins, past, present, and future. The greatest news in the history of the world that no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven because of Jesus. Amen, somebody. Acts records how this fledgling group of misfits took the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to the capital of the known world in Rome. If you're new to the Bible and you want to read a fantastic story that will keep your attention from beginning to end, Acts would be a fantastic book for you to start in. But here we go. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Peter and John, who are they? Peter and John, they are friends of Jesus, uh, two of his closest friends, actually. So uh, if you study the Bible, you know that Jesus had 12 disciples, but three of them were super close, Peter, James, and John. And so these are the men he confided in the most. They walked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. Uh, John was at the cross, the only disciple at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Peter saw the empty tomb when Jesus rose from the dead. Earlier in Acts, we see them watch as Jesus ascended back into heaven. So two very iconic figures in Scripture. Peter and John. 
went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man, a lame from birth, was being carried in. Why was he being carried in? Why did he not just wheel himself in? Uh, Because things were different back then. How far we have come, especially in this country, giving folks with disabilities uh, access to things and luxuries in life that they did not have back then. Not too long ago, I was staying in a hotel, and, and the hotel was booked, and they only had a handicap accessible room for me to stay in, but uh, it was huge, gigantic room. There was a button on the door, so I didn't even have to touch the door handle. It's amazing. The shower was fantastic. There was this gigantic bench in there. I uh, sat in there. I don't even know how long I was in this shower. I might have fallen asleep. I couldn't even tell you because the shower was so big and amazing. I spent no fewer than 30 minutes, I, I promise you, like that. But I got back, and I was giving a friend of mine uh, who's in a wheelchair a hard time about, man, you all got all the good stuff. Like, What? I was being sarcastic. Uh, it was a joke. These are the jokes, people. Uh, he, was, he, he, he thought it was funny. He, he returned the favor and, and joked with me. Anyway, let's move on. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going in to the temple. Now, isn't that interesting? That when this man wanted to receive some financial gifts that he could live on, he didn't ask his friends to put him in front of a grocery store. He didn't say, hey, I need you all to put me in front of the Walmart, outside the Target, K96 and Rock. He didn't say that. He said, bring me to the church. Take me to where people are worshiping God. Why? Well, he must have assumed that these people who were spending time with God, who had their minds fixed on the things of God and and the things of heaven, would be more generous with their fellow person. I wonder if he would be right about that in today's world. Just a question. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us! Exclamation point. Easy. Why? Is he yelling? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Thank you for that, Luke. Right? The, the guy who wrote this, Luke, he was a medical doctor, so he felt compelled to give us unnecessary medical information. It's not enough to say that he grabbed the man by the hand and helped him up. He had to include the point that the man's ligaments and atrophied muscles were immediately healed and strengthened. Why? It's because he's a doctor. They do that stuff. Uh, what happened next? Verse 8, he jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were filled with wonder and amazement. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do, that phrase, wonder and amazement. That should be the reaction of people when they meet you and see Jesus working in your life wonder and amazement. People who knew us best should be like, wait, what? How are you the same 
person, wonder and amazement. One of my favorite things to do is uh, meet people that I went to high school with and run into them and, or college, and they're always like, hold on, you, you do what now? It does not add up to what I know about you and what I've seen from you. I was just at a, a basketball game the other night refereeing, and the girl doing scorebook happened to be a girl that I went to college with, and she said, I heard on Facebook you were a pastor? Like you said it like that, like raise, you know, pastor? Uh, yeah, no, that's true. That's a true story. Wonder and amazement. God is good. Come on, somebody. Uh, verse 11. They all rushed out astounded to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. That's jacked up, Peter. Uh, Talking about how crippled he was before. Anyway, faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Peter goes on to preach this epic sermon where 2,000 men get saved. Praise God. Here's what I want you to jot down if you're taking notes. We're trying to learn how to keep the change this year. The first thing we have to know is that the change you need might not be the change you want. The change you need might not be the change you want. What this man wanted is almost laughable compared to what he received. Is it not? He wanted some change, some money. He wanted to spend it. You know, money he wouldn't have even kept. Who knows what he would have spent it on, but he wanted it. And what he got, what he wanted and what he got are two entirely different things. I would contend he got what he needed, not what he wanted. What am I getting at? Well, the text tells us that Peter and John noticed this man begging for money. Sure, they noticed him after he called out to them and asked for the money, but nonetheless, they noticed him. Here's my point. You can't address the change in your life unless you first notice the need. You got to notice the need before you can address the change. And this man didn't even notice what he needed anymore. Let me ask you a question. How many needs are we missing out on because we're texting? How many needs are we missing out on because we, we chat and snap at the same time or however that works? How many needs are we missing out on because we're scrolling through our feeds? How many miracles have we missed because we're otherwise just too preoccupied? Our job has our attention. Our to-do list has our attention. Our schedule has our attention. Boyfriend, girlfriend has our attention. Friends have our attention. God is trying to do something in you that can lead to everlasting change, and we're too busy to notice it. What this man needed, he didn't even notice. He's busy asking for coins, and God's saying, no, how about you stop being crippled? He's busy asking for some spare change. God's saying, no, how about some life change? This man's paralyzed, asking for dives, and God say, you could be up dancing. And it all stems from the fact that he doesn't notice what he needs. See, sometimes in order for us to access the change we need, God won't allow us to get what we want. It's a hard truth. It got awful lonely up here. You guys are just staring at me. But it's true. 
to access the change we need. God might not give you what you think you want. Like, like what if you do lose that weight this year only to find out that you've swapped out your food fixation with a fitness fixation? You just swapped idols out. In my experience, the reason most people can't keep the change in their life is because they just swap out idols. They don't notice the actual problem, which is they're out of alignment with God. They try all these different things to help them change and and fix something when the reality is they've turned a good thing, a good change, into a God thing. They're like, God, come on, why why hasn't any of this stuff worked? Because it's not what you need. You just think it is. God's trying to give you what you need instead of what you want. You need to turn your heart back to God. You realize every one of your sins is you saying, I know better than God. My way is better than His way. Every single one of your sins stems from that attitude. I don't need to tithe right now. Money is tight. I give other places. I donate things. I serve the tithe. We don't need to do that. I can eat whatever I want. It's about moderation. Bible doesn't say anything, Pastor, about smoking or uh, drinking. It says we can't get drunk, but it doesn't say anything about drinking. Missing church isn't that big of a deal. God knows I need my rest. This is a Sabbath. We just relax. He knows I need it. Are those needs or wants? Interesting passage, 1 Corinthians 6.12. I can do anything I want to if Christ has not said no, but some of these things aren't good for me. Even if I'm allowed to do them, I'll refuse to if I think they might get such a grip on me that I can't easily stop when I want to. Oh, see, Pastor, that's the thing. I can stop whenever I want to. Really? Then stop. Prove me wrong. If you want to change my point, then don't miss the need. Now, let's get super practical. Like how do we do that? How can we keep the change? If we identify the need, which is my point that we need to do, which I'm not saying is easy. In fact, I would argue that it's very, 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 very hard. But if we do identify the need, then how can we keep the change? A couple things. Uh, Look at verse 1 again. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Historically, Jews had three prayer services at the temple, one in the morning, one around lunch, one in the afternoon. Peter and John headed to the afternoon prayer when this miracle took place. What does that mean? It means healthy habits open you up to holy moments. Healthy habits will open you up to holy moments. Some of us want the miracle without being willing to pray three times a day. Ouch. Are you willing to pray three times a day? Some of us, uh, we're asking God for miracles without being willing to move. We just want to teleport from mountaintop to mountaintop. We don't ever want to cross through a valley, but that's not how it works. You have to develop healthy habits to be opened up to holy moments. How do you hit the game winner in front of 10,000 people? You shoot the shot 10,000 times by yourself. How do you throw the game winning touchdown in the national championship game as a true freshman? You throw it every single day leading up to that. As a Minnesota Viking, how do you catch an amazing catch and run for a touchdown? 
You do it every single day leading up to that. Come on, no Vikings fans in here? Good grief. All right. Unbelievable. I'm fasting from the Kansas City Chiefs, in case you were wondering. January 20, January 6, 21 days, no Chiefs. Kidding. No, but seriously, how do you... How do you get out of debt? How do you stop an addiction? How do you strengthen your marriage? How do you deal with adversity at school? How do you, how do you deal with these things? You develop healthy habits. You read the Bible. You pray. You serve at your church. You give your tithe. You worship regularly. It's not rocket science. It's more likely you've just decided that there are things, uh, whether you're willing to articulate this or not, you've decided there are things that are more important than any of those things. And you're not willing to develop a healthy habit. What else? What else do we need to do, Pastor? If we're going to keep the change, well, we see Peter and John going together to the temple for prayer. There's something amazing about together. In fact, when this man is healed, we see that, that he goes with them. Peter and John, he goes with them to the temple. Verse 11 says, he held tightly to them. Your translation might say he clung to them. In other words, he had a new crew. He had an old crew, right? They're the ones that set him in front of the beautiful gate every single day. Now he had a new crew. Here's how you can write it down. It might take new relationships to get to new places. We're talking about keeping the change. And what you have to realize, it, it might take new relationships for you to get to new places. Why is that true? Uh, I find that there's a delicate balance that we have to walk as Christians. The Bible says that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And it's hard for us to do because we want to position ourselves to be in a spot where we can better the world, but we also don't want to pull ourselves out of the world, which is tricky because there's all kinds of well-meaning Christians who tell us that we have to buy Christian clothes made by Christian materials, sewn by Christians and, you know, with Christian sewing machines and all that. And we can only drink uh, Christian milk, milk from Christian cows. And, uh, you know, you got to eat Christian chicken from free range, you know, because that's the only Christian chickens are free range chickens. And we have to do all of these things that just seem silly and watch Christian TV and buy Christian stocks. And we just have to do all of this. But but do you realize what we're doing when we tell the world that that we're only going to do those sorts of things? We're saying that they're not important. We're saying they can go to hell. Because we've got what we need over here, and we're just going to do whatever we need to do. And so there's this delicate balance because we don't want to pull away from these relationships because we do need to witness to them and care for them. But at some point, there are some times that you have to just hatchet it off and remove yourself. We're not interested in them sometimes and their doing. Now, we have our Christian commune here, and we all love each other, but that's not how God has called us to live. He said we are salt and light in a dark world. We're supposed to be helping the world around us, not insulating ourselves from it. But I get it. It can be tough, which is why it's so important for us to have good, godly, healthy relationships. Again, which is why I'm so passionate about you getting involved in a small group, so that you can be ministered to in 
these groups, and then you can go out into the world and also minister to the people around you. The tether for us walking in a dark world and not being tempted by it is the relationships God gives us. Now, it's worth pointing out that the reason why it might take new relationships to get to new places is because there are many people in this world who have given up on their dreams and they will always resent you when you achieve yours. Come on, somebody. You met that person before. He's trying to drag you down. I can't tell you how many times in the early days of me really devoting my life to Christ and people would come up to me and you know, they say, you've, you've changed. I thought that was the point, right? I mean, when God rescues you and brings you from death to life, the point is you change. You have to change. But it might take new relationships to get you to new places. Here's the third thing. God will use your enthusiasm for evangelism. God will use your enthusiasm for life and passion for life and zeal for life for evangelism. If you keep the change, God will use that. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. Here's something to think about. Is your enthusiasm for life encouraging people to follow Christ? Is it sparking conversation with people because they notice something so different about you? I once rented an apartment from a guy who was kind of an interesting dude. He was a Christian. He always was super helpful to me, but he has some self-admitted idiosyncrasies. Nonetheless, uh, always very pleasant guy when I was around. Well, one day he let me borrow his trailer to move something. It's been long enough now that I don't don't remember uh, what I was moving, but I just remember that somewhere along the journey, a pin fell out that that will, if the pin comes out, it locks up the brakes. It's a safety feature. Well, the pin had fallen out. It locked up the brakes. It was raining on that day, though, and so I didn't realize it. I just kind of felt a tug on my trailer, but the, the wheel, one of the wheels had locked up, and I was just dragging it. Didn't notice it until I got back uh, and started unhooking the trailer, saw that the wheel was all jacked up. Well, I called the guy, told him what happened, asked him, you know, hey, where'd you buy your trailer? I'll, I'll, I'll take this tire in and, and get a new one for you. Well, I'm not a wheel guy, okay? Uh, so I take the wheel off, take it to the trailer place and say, here's what I need. They say, we don't have that. We have uh, something that will work, but it's not the exact brand or uh, whatever. And I was like, well, per- perfect. If it works, great. You know, fine. Well, uh, it wasn't perfect. Okay. My landlord did not like that. The wheels did not match. Idiosyncrasy. So unbeknownst to me, he called the trailer place. He proceeded to berate them on about how they should have known better. And they took advantage of me because I was young and didn't know any different and, and all of this. Well, long story short, I had to take the other wheel back in order to exchange uh, the wheel for the one that he special ordered. The guy at the trailer place is like, is that your dad? I said, no, that's, that's my landlord. He said, move as soon as possible. <laughs> it's like, you just need to move. Guy's crazy. He, he proceeded to tell me the story, and uh, it was just a big deal. Now, my point is that man's experience with my landlord was much different than my experience. They were two entirely different things. But again, that's my point. See, his enthusiasm to have things done his way tarnished his ability to witness to somebody. Is your enthusiasm to do things God's way impacting the relationships around you? What's your daily life experience like when it comes to enthusiasm? We all know people are drawn to passion. People are drawn to people who love life. 
Be passionate about the right things. The fact that you woke up this morning is great news. You should enjoy the time God gave you on this planet. People should be drawn to you because of your enthusiasm. Last thing, if we want to keep the change, we must not overlook our opportunity. Don't overlook your opportunity. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity. He addressed the crowd. Peter certainly was not someone to miss an opportunity or pass up an opportunity to speak. Oftentimes it was him putting his foot in his mouth. But I wonder how many of us have missed out on opportunities. Like I said earlier, maybe because we were so busy. There was a famous study recently done called The Invisible Gorilla. Demonstrates my point very effectively. An audience is told that they're going to be shown a short film with a group of people playing basketball. They're to count the number of times the ball is passed from player to player. It could be a chess pass, could be a bounce pass. And uh, the movie is started, the audience members begin counting the passes. During a film, during the film, a person dressed up as a gorilla appears and walks directly in front of the basketball court while the game is in progress. When the film is over, the viewers are asked if they notice anything unusual or strange about the video. They said no. Then they were asked how many passes they counted. The majority of people noticed nothing strange at all, including a gigantic gorilla walking across the court. They weren't expecting to see it, They weren't told to look for it. They were intent on counting the number of passes. The experiment reveals two things for us. So hear me on this. We miss much of what goes on around us, and we have no idea we're missing it. In life, our general experience, because we're so busy and the pace of life is so crazy, we miss much of what goes on around us, and we have no idea we're missing it. Listen, friends, if I could, as your pastor, just lovingly challenge you as we close our time this morning together, I would say this. Slow down. Open your eyes. You're missing the forest for the trees. Too many of us, myself included, are trading what we want now for what we need most. We're confused. The change you need might not be the change you want. The question is, do you trust God enough to allow Him to say no and alter your course? Maybe a better question is, are you close enough to God to hear His voice when He tells you to change your path? You've got to learn to say, I'm done doing it my way. I'm going to open myself up to some holy habits. I'm going to learn how to be passionate about life and following God. I'm going to get new relationships that are going to take me to new places. I'm going to say, God, give me eyes to see people. Don't let me overlook an opportunity. I tell you what, for me, one of the scariest passages in all of Scripture is the one that says, I'm going to have to answer to God for every one of my missed opportunities. Make no mistake, God's will is going to be done. God is God. But I'm going to have to find out why I didn't do what God asked me to do and why I missed an opportunity. Figure out what you need. Don't just swap one idol for another. 
learn how to trust God to do what He promised He would do, which is meet your needs. Then above all else, keep that change. Listen to me. You're never too old to change, but you're also never too old to mess up the change. You know what I'm talking about? Keep the change and all the preceding changes that go along with it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love You. We thank You for the opportunity that You've even given us to come and gather here in this place. God, I know many of us, myself included, are convicted with this message. We want to keep the change. We know how to keep the change. We just need the power of Your Holy Spirit to help us. God, if it's a habit that people need to change, I pray that You help them discover that. If it's a relationship, if it's enthusiasm, if it's a missed opportunity, just ask that You speak to them right now. Help reveal what their next steps need to be. God, we believe in the power of Your Son, Jesus. That He came to this earth, born of a virgin. No sin was in Him. He died a death that was meant for us. But because He rose from the dead, we can be made new. God, bring us from death to life. If that's your story here this morning, that you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, that prayer is for you. You can say, I believe in Jesus. And you can say, God, please forgive me for my sins. And you can be saved. Not because there's power in your words, but because there's power in Jesus and His resurrection. I pray that you feel His power. God, somebody prayed that in their heart this morning. I just ask you to encourage them, strengthen them, give them the confidence to come speak to somebody, let them know of this change in their life. God, most of all, we just want to submit our lives to you. Help us identify the need, which may not be what we want, but give us the strength to change and keep the change. If you believe God can do that, everybody say, Amen.